Do you understand quantum physics? Quantum physics? Well, no, I don't understand that. Well, what about uh, molecular biology? Could you could you achieve something in the realm of molecular biology? No, no, I was never good in biology, let alone molecular biology. How about theoretical mathematics? You know, there is such a thing, right? theoretical mathematics. No, I mean, some of us struggle with simple algebra, right? I mean, what if you had this very difficult, impossible to understand subject matter, and your boss came to you and said, your future employment with this company is dependent upon you being able to achieve in one of these very difficult topics. In other words, if, if you can't, if you can't master quantum physics, you're out the door because we got to have somebody who can, who understands that, who functions in that realm, and if you can't do it, you're out of luck. What would that be like? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Thankfully, we're not put in predicaments like that, typically. Uh, there are a few people who, I'm sure, in this world earn their livings working in, the, in such complicated realms, but most of us are not uh, obligated to be able to achieve uh, what would, to, to most of us, be impossible things to understand. That would be a bad situation. Let me tell you a worse one. What if God expected you to know, to understand, and to implement impossible task. He, he, he gave us requirements, but you can't even understand the requirements. And he expected you to do that, which no mortal man could possibly achieve. And here, your eternal destiny is based on whether you're able to accomplish it or not. That would be even worse, wouldn't it? That'd be ultimately worse. Thankfully, that is not the way God is. That is not in his nature. God is not like that. God does not ask us to do things that we are incapable of doing. This morning, we want to look at a command of God that we can achieve. In fact, we must achieve. We want to talk about understanding the will of the Lord. And the text for our study this morning is Ephesians 5, verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God has asked us to do something there, and we want to talk about it, uh, uh, but understand at the very beginning, he never asks us to do what we can't do. And so this is an important assignment he gives us, to understand his will. We stop here for just a minute to thank you all for being here. Our crowd's way down, weather's bad, uh, I think there's a lot of sickness going around as well, uh, so our numbers are down. Uh, but we're glad that you're able to be here. We appreciate your diligence on coming this morning, and we look forward to the time that we can spend together in worship. We hope all are encouraged and edified. Thanks especially for those of you who are visiting with us today. Come back whenever you can. Let's talk about understanding the will of the Lord. And the very first point we want to make is the one we were already alluding to, and that is the idea that we can understand the, the Lord's will. The very fact that He commanded us to do so indicates that it's a possibility that it can be done. It is not in the nature of God to require what we can't do. Not too long ago, I was in a study with some preachers, and one of them tried to make the point that God asks us to do what He knows that we can't do. And then, of course, a number of others who were present objected to that statement. That's just simply not true. God does not ask us to do what we cannot do. Uh, God wouldn't be a loving Heavenly Father if He was of that nature. How would you view this? How would you view a father, and he's got a, a three-year-old toddler, uh, 
and he requires the toddler to paint his two-story house. Why? You don't ask a three-year-old to climb up on a ladder and paint a two-story house. That would be crazy. Uh, more than crazy, it'd be wrong. It would be actually abusive, right, if you had a father who put upon his child to do something so difficult, far beyond his uh, ability to achieve, that's just not right. And it wouldn't be right for God to ask us that either. God does not ask us to do what we cannot do. And the very fact that he commands us to understand his will indicates to us that it is something achievable. It can be done. You're familiar with Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning verse 3. God made note unto me, Paul said, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby, notice, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul said, God revealed to me, I wrote it down, you read it, you understand it. That's the process. There's nothing complicated about that. It can be done. There are so many people, though, in the religious world, I'm afraid even some Christians uh, think that the Bible is just a book that's impossible to understand. And for that reason, some people don't even try. But we've got to stress again and again that this is an understandable thing. We can know uh, the will of the Lord. Now, we're not denying the fact that there's some parts of the Bible that are more difficult than others. Uh, that, that is obvious. Anybody who's spent any time in the Bible understands that there's some books, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that are more difficult to understand than others. Uh, the Hebrew writer even uh, referred to it as milk and meat. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, he talks about uh, the, the easier parts of the Scripture being milk, the more difficult parts being meat. We're expected to progress from the simpler parts to the more difficult parts. He refers to it as first, first principles. We're to move beyond the first principles to those things that apply to more mature Christians. We understand that. There are more difficult parts than others. But it's all knowable. And certainly anything that would affect our eternal salvation is easily discernible. Even the most simple-minded people can understand the very basics of the Scriptures that are essential to the salvation of the soul we can understand the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I want to emphasize here, Paul was grateful that the, the, the brethren at Thessalonica, when they received the message that Paul sent, and from the message that he even preached to them in person, they received it not as though it had come from Paul himself, but as he says, as it is in truth, the Word of God. They understood that what was being delivered to them was the Word of God. Now, let me ask you something. If this really is from God, do you honestly think that an all-powerful God would be incapable of delivering a message to mankind that mankind could comprehend? That doesn't even make sense, does it? God's all-knowing, all-powerful. He knows what we're capable of, and He wouldn't expect us to do more than that. He can put His will out there in a way in which we can comprehend it and understand it. I think it would be a, a, an affront to God Himself to suggest that He wasn't able to deliver a message that we could understand. You know what the real problem is? I think the real problem is what Paul mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, he speaks of some who received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. I think that's the problem. 
The reason why a lot of people say, oh, I can't understand the Bible, I'm not even going to try. The real problem with those people is that they don't love the truth. If they loved the truth, they would keep working at it until they did comprehend it. What would it be like if you got a letter from, from a loved one? Maybe, maybe here's a, a guy and a gal and they're courting and he really loves her and she really loves him and she sends a letter to him. Uh, it's a love letter. Uh, but the letter has some unique characteristics to it that you have to really think about what the meaning is. Maybe even a riddle. Maybe even a riddle is included in this message of love that the girl sends to it, this guy or vice versa. Read it the first time. Oh, I don't understand that. Throw it away. I read it the first time. Put it aside. I, I can't understand it. I'm not even going to try. No, if you really loved that person who sent you that message, you'd stay at that until you discovered the meaning that was intended by the one who loved you who sent you that message, right? That's what you do with a love letter. I want to tell you, the Bible is that way. God loves us. He sent us a message to help us, to guide us, to direct us, and to give us uh, the pathway that will lead to an eternity with Him in heaven. If you love that, if you love the truth, and if you love God, you will spend the time and put forth the effort to understand his will. So the first point here, when Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, our first point is a very obvious one. The fact that it's commanded clearly indicates that it's possible to do so, right? It has to be. Notice, though, that he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And here we're concentrating on the present tense verb, understand what the will of the Lord is. What is it right now? What is it at the present time? What is it that God would have me to be doing? It is not what the will of the Lord used to be. He didn't say understand what the will of the Lord used to be. He said understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, a lot of people make the mistake of failing to differentiate between different laws that God has had for men at different points in time through history. Uh, especially we know that people have a lot of problem distinguishing between uh, the law of Moses that's taught in the Old Testament and the law of Christ, which is taught uh, in the New Testament. And so uh, they end up confused. And, and in fact, if you, if you don't make that dis distinction, then you end up with some pretty obvious contradictions between things that were required in the Old Testament and things that we're told to do in the New Testament. If you really want to get people worked up, uh, tell them that you don't believe that the Ten Commandments are binding on us today. I mean, you can people almost act like you blow their mind if you say, oh, I don't believe the Ten Commandments are binding upon us today. What? Not the Ten Commandments? No, the Ten Commandments were part of that Old Testament law of Moses, and that's all been abolished. In Colossians 2, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and so when it talks about those handwritten ordinances, it's clear he was talking about the law of Moses. In fact, in verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So he's talking about the Old Testament law of Moses. It was nailed to the cross of Christ. The Old Testament was abolished. We're not under that Old Testament law anymore. You mean the Ten Commandments even? We're not under the Ten Commandments. We're not under the Ten Commandments as a part of the law of Moses. I think that would be borne out here when part of what was 
not to be bound on people any longer was the Sabbath day. That's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're not under the Ten Commandments. We're not under under any part of the Old Testament law. We're under the New Testament law of Jesus Christ. Now, what we try to explain, and people, it just seems like it goes right over their head, we try to explain that the, the principles, if not the direct command, but at least the principles of nine of those Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. And so, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, so forth. Uh, those things are repeated in the New Testament. And the reason we live by that law is because it's in the New Testament, not because it's part of the Old Testament. We're not, we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. What is it for us today? We've got to make that distinction between what used to be the will of God and what is the will of God today. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9, the Hebrew writers, uh, speaking of the work that Christ came to do, he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Well, did he do that? Was he able to do what he came to do or not? Did he take away? The, he's talking about two covenants here, right? The Old Testament covenant uh, to the children of Israel. The law given on Mount Sinai. The first covenant. He, he came to take away that first covenant in order to establish a second. Did he establish it or not? Is the first taken away or not? And so, clearly, we're to understand what the will of the Lord is, not what the will of the Lord is not or used to be. You know, there's a practical application of this. Sometimes when we're talking about something as simple as music and worship, and when we're talking to people about why we don't use instrumental music in New Testament worship, one of the arguments that they're quick to make is go back to the Old Testament and demonstrate that in the Old Testament times they used instruments of music. We grant that they did, but not in the New Testament, and that's the law we live under. That's why it's important for us to understand what the will of the Lord is right now for us presently. We're to understand what the will of the Lord is, not what the will of the Lord might be. How often in talking to people do we hear them make the comment, well, the Bible doesn't say not to. It doesn't say not to. Uh, maybe make a very simple illustration of that. Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a, in a few minutes. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. We believe that the New Testament authorizes Christians, in fact, instructs and commands Christians to observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. But you're aware of the fact that there are religious groups uh, that take the Lord's Supper on various days of the week. And so, what about Tuesday, you know? Let's, Tuesday's a special day. Let's, let's observe the Lord's Supper on Tuesday. You know, the Bible doesn't say not to. It doesn't say, that, it doesn't say thou shalt not take the Lord's Supper on Tuesday. Let's take it on Tuesday. And you know, the fact of the matter is, maybe God might be okay with that. You know, maybe God would say, okay, take it on Tuesday. Tuesday's okay. Sunday's good. Tuesday's okay. Any day you want, take it. It might be, someone says, it might be that God would be okay with us taking the Lord's Supper on Tuesday. Well, uh, how would you know, right? That kind of reasoning, what might be, is so faulty. All we know is what God told us, and all that we know is that He told us uh, by the example of the Christians in Acts 20 and verse 7, is to observe the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. 
Some say, well, it might be okay on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah but it, we wouldn't know that. We would have no way to be aware of that. And, in fact, if we regard and respect the silence of the Scriptures, we would condemn that practice because it's unauthorized and it's not okay. A lot of people want to base their religious practice on what might be. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. It's interesting that a problem we see in the world today obviously also existed way back there in the first century. There are just some people who are given over to endless speculations, who ignore plain, simple, straightforward truth, and who are always arguing about things like what might be or what we could possibly do. We're to understand what the will of the Lord is, not what the will of the Lord might be. Let's get out of that realm of speculation. Let's base our practice upon what is plainly taught and authorized in the Scriptures. We're supposed to understand what the will of the Lord is, not what we think the will of the Lord ought to be. You know, men, based upon their own desires, are prone to pronounce what they think God should or should not permit. Probably a classic area in, in which this takes place is in that very emotional and troubling area of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. God's law concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage is very strict, and we've studied it many times, we understand it. But how often do we encounter people who think, well, I just don't think that, they, I, I think it ought to be so that a person, you know, could remarry, even though if they didn't divorce on the basis taught in the Scriptures. And I think a person ought to be able to remarry. Uh, uh, and lots of people take that view, some of our own brethren take that view, that any, almost anybody and everybody can remarry. Uh, with, without regard to the very tight restrictions placed on it by our Lord in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Uh, I think it ought to be that a man or a woman could marry irregardless of what has happened in their past. Well, notice they're arguing about what they think it ought to be rather than what the Scripture says that it is. We've got to be careful about supplanting our own opinions, our own think-sos, when it comes to doing the will of God. A classic case, you know it well, in Second Kings chapter 5, is the story of Naaman the leper. Remember, Naaman was a, uh, a leper who came to the prophet Elisha. Uh, he, he was a high-ranking military man from a foreign country, but he had heard of Elisha that he could uh, heal, uh, maybe heal the leprosy. And he came in Second Kings 5, when he came to Elisha's place, Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of, his Lord, uh, call in the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You know how the story goes on. His servants begged him to reconsider, and he did. And he was cleansed of his leprosy in the way that Elisha said. But the famous expression here in this story is, 
when he was so mad, when he turned away, when he wasn't going to do what the prophet said. Behold, I thought, here's what I thought would happen. Here's what I thought he would say. Here's what I thought he would do. And as long as he was pursuing what he thought, he wasn't going to be healed of his leprosy. Only when he gave up his own think-so and submitted to what Elisha said was the leprosy healed. A lot of people still making that mistake of planning what they think God ought to or ought not to allow, and that doesn't work. We're to understand what the will of the Lord is. So, we can understand and we need to understand what His will for us currently is. Finally, the text tells us that if you ignore the will of the Lord, it's a foolish thing. Look back up at the text here. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, if you don't understand the will of the Lord, that would indicate that you are foolish, right? Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. To ignore the will of the Lord would be foolish. Um, I'll tell you, the world is full of a lot of people who are acting foolishly in ignoring the will of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8 says, The wise heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be thrown down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the, witness, uh, the weakness of God is stronger than men. One of the things we hear a lot about in our day and time are, are the, uh, the intellectual elites. Uh, and they, they have a view about everything, and it's typically pretty different than the view of average thinking people. But these people regard themselves as elite, and they're intellectual, and they know more than you do, and, and so uh, they act that way. And they have a view uh, about those of us who pursue religion in our life. And sometimes you even hear the phrase that religion is, is a crutch for weak people. You know? The reason why you all are religious, and the reason why you believe in God and try to follow the Bible is because you're really... You're really weak people, and you're just using it as, a, as, a, as an emotional crutch to hold you up. And in that, in that manner, they put down people of faith uh, using those kinds of expressions. Uh, but I want to tell you, the fact of the matter is, they are the ones who really have it backward. As Paul said here, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. God is wiser than those self-deceived intellectual elites who think that religion is a crutch or is unnecessary. The wisdom of God is wiser than men. And ignoring the will of God, as our text says, uh, is a foolish thing. So Ephesians 5, verse 17, really a simple verse. But I think there's several things in it that are very important to us. And we cannot overemphasize this very first thing that we talked about. God does not command us to do what we're incapable of doing. How could He be a loving Father and ask us to do what He knows we can't do? Uh, an earthly father would be considered hateful and abusive if he expected his child to do something he couldn't do. Why would we put it upon God to imagine that He asks us to do what we can't do? We can do it. And, and that's true of all of His instructions, but it's certainly true of this one. When he says to understand what the will of the Lord is, then it's clear that we can do so. Let us understand what is his will right now for us to be living by, and let us not be so foolish as to ignore that in our lives. Appreciate your good attention to what we've had to say, and hope it will encourage us all as we work to know and do the will of God in our lives.
We're going to end the lesson and sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking everybody present, think about your own situation, think about your relationship with God, make sure it's right. If you haven't obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation, you need to do that. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to do that, we'd be glad to assist you. If you need more study, uh, some questions to be answered, just say a word and we'll be glad uh, to study with you. This is the most important decision of life. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithfully serving your Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.